Chapter Nine of The Last of the Vikings by Johann Boyer, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nine. The Kelpie must have forgotten to tidy up the place before we came," said Cornelis. A lamp with a few drops of oil in it was hanging over the table. They lighted it, and, finding some sticks, made a fire in the rusty stove, upon which stood a black coffee-kettle containing brown grounds from the year before. There was also a little kitchen, and there, half buried in the snow upon the hearth, stood a black pot with the remains of soup that they had forgotten to empty away before they left for home the previous spring. "'Now, Henry, you must get your apron on,' said the lasers. Henry Robin was the one who used to attend to the comfort and cleanliness of the house, and while the others began carrying up provisions and bedding from the boat, he fetched water, washed out the kettle and the pot, and swept up the snow from the floor and out of the bunks. When the men finally came in, the ice in their hair and beard soon began to melt in the heat of the stove, and they threw off their oilskins and tried to thaw their frozen boots at the fire though it was some time before they were pliable enough to be pulled off. Out in the kitchen the wood was already crackling under a large pan full of water, and the kettle was puffing the fragrant odor of coffee into the room. "'I suppose we'll be having something hot for supper tonight, shan't we?' asked Henry, making his appearance at the kitchen door, still with his sea-boots on. "'You'll have to go out, Alessus, after fresh fish.' "'I dare say that can be managed,' said Elesus with a laugh. He was already in his wooden shoes, and he clattered out of the house. Elesus was on friendly terms with every one on the station, and it was not long before he returned with three large cod in one hand and a scoopful of liver in the other. He said he had borrowed it of a fisherman who lived on the station. "'Upon my word, we're going to have a good supper,' said Christaver, who came in immediately afterward. Dram-glasses went round, and they looked at one another and wished one another welcome to Lofoten. Even Arnt Osan was treated as one of themselves. The hot coffee did them good, but now, after the bitter cold out on the sea, their fingers and toes began to tingle painfully in the warmth of the room. They clapped their hands and shook their fingers, and danced about the floor in their shoes, but at last there was nothing for it but to take off their stockings and go outside and bury their hands and feet in the snow for a little while. Just as the potatoes were ready, and the fish and liver lay smoking on the dish, a tramping of feet was heard outside, and the crew of the sea-fire, with Peter Susansa at their head, came into the room. The cold of the sea seemed to envelop them, and their clothing, beards, and hair were grey with ice. The room became icy cold, as if every man had brought in a winter's day with him. "'That's good!' exclaimed Peter Susansa. "'I see you've got supper ready.' He began to divest himself of his oilskins. Christaver at once poured out a dram for every man, and bade them welcome to Lofoten, they bidding him welcome in return. The newcomers had soon brought up their things from the boat and tugged off their boots, 
and then they gathered around the table for the first time that year, all the twelve who were to live together as one family during the winter. The stove grew hotter, and faces and hands began to swell and smart after the frost and fog on the sea, but they had lived for ten days upon raw salt pork, coffee and bread, and the cooked food, fresh fish, liver, and hot potatoes tasted delicious. They ate as if they could never be satisfied, as if they always had room for more, and when there was nothing left but fish bones and potato skins, they sat looking at one another's red, swollen faces, as if with the consciousness of good work well done. And then it would not have been Peter Jusansa if he had not brought out a bottle and poured out a dram all round. On his way from the telegraph station Christavre had gone into the shop, which was, as usual, crowded with fishermen, to hear the news. The fishing did not promise badly this year. Some men had taken two and three hundred cod in one set of nets, and Kaplan had been found in the stomachs of some. It was the first indication of how things might be this winter, and they looked at it and talked it over, but they had a difficulty in keeping their eyes open in the heat. It was as much as they could do to put fresh straw into the bunks and fling in the bedclothes. At last they could take off their trousers and coat when they went to bed. The lamp was blown out, and for a little while they lay chatting and yawning. The stove was hot, and the wet clothes and boots that were hung around it to dry sent out a pungent odour of sea-water, perspiration, and damp leather. The bunks were damp and the skin coverlets cold, but the men fell asleep with the feeling that they had come to their own again and in a way were at home. The fire died down and the room grew cold. The chill Nordland night penetrated everywhere, and the clothes and boots around the stove, which had been dripping with water, began once more to grow white and stiff and the breath of the sleepers came from their lips like little grey clouds. Lars dreamed of his mother. He had somehow or other got out upon the sea in a wheelbarrow, and it was gradually sinking beneath him. His mother was standing on the shore, and she threw a rope to him and cried, Lars, don't you see I want to save you?' Then his father called him from a boat farther out and threw a line out to him, and Lars took it and let himself be pulled out to his father. But his mother cried more and more distressfully, Lars, Lars, don't you care for your mother any more? In the middle of the night he woke with the cold, and found himself lying beside his father. End of chapter 9